Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Hello and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Jalenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. In each episode of How to Be Fine, we weigh in on what's happening in the world of happiness, health, and betterment, and we offer a bit of advice for those who want it. And full disclosure, we are not psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors of any kind, but we are experienced self-help critics. We have lived by the rules of almost 100 self-help books for our other show by the book. So we've basically tried on almost every kind of wellness trend there is. And besides, we're not here promising to make all of you the best, richest, most optimal versions of yourselves. If all goes well, we'll just help you feel a little closer to fine. Okie doke. Kristen, we have a couple of great advice letters to get to later in the show. But first, as we always do, we're going to start things off with our hot topic. And Kristen, you have this week's hot topic. What is it? Today's hot topic is not washing. Not washing what? (laughs) Not washing ourselves? Not washing ourselves. I'm talking cutting back on showering. I'm talking cutting back on bathing. I'm talking about maybe not showering or bathing at all. Whoa. (laughs) Getting dirty. Oh, yes. But 
Before we dive into this week's subject, I want to give everyone, including you, Jolenta, a bit of history on washing and how it's come in and out of fashion. Jolenta, you touched on this in your ice baths episode. We humans, we've been washing for a long time. (laughs) Obviously, there have always been rivers and oceans and waterfalls, but starting way back in 2500 BC or possibly even earlier, there were also bathhouses. These were sometimes temples, sometimes they were gymnasiums, sometimes they were just a part of public life, you know, places where people would socialize and gather and even eat while they bathed. And they were all over the world. They were in Pakistan, Turkey, Korea, Japan, Russia, Egypt, and so on. They were everywhere. But then something caused bathing to go out of fashion in the Western world, at least, for a solid 500 years Jolenta, can you guess what it was that made people stop taking baths? I was gonna say like a plague because they're all hanging out together making like germ soup. Ha! Yes, Jolenta! Ding, ding, ding! But also plagues, you would think washing would make it better. (laughs) But you're correct. You're very correct. When the great plagues came along in the 14th century, that includes the bubonic plague, right. the medical faculty at the Sorbonne in Paris concluded that people who opened their pores in baths were much more susceptible. And before you know it, nobody in the Western world was washing, <laughs> much to the disgust and chagrin of people outside the Western world. Hey-o. It was so bad that Louis XIV of France, for example, is said to have only taken two baths in his entire adult lifetime. That's wild. And like also historically, (laughs) didn't everyone in Europe like smell bad at the time? Oh, yes. Famously so. Famously bad smelling because they also were wearing the same clothes over and over again. And those clothes were absorbing all of their body smells. And yeah. (laughs) It was aromatic in the worst way. (laughs) Yeah. Fortunately, by the mid-1800s, doctors began changing their tune. And in 1861, the U.S. even created an official sanitary commission to help wounded soldiers during the Civil War. The sanitary commission found that by simply washing patients and their clothes and the walls of their rooms, doctors could save so many people from disease, things they hadn't even considered before. And this sanitary commission, which, by the way, was headed up by Olmsted of Olmsted and Box, who designed our great parks in New York City, like Central Park. This commission is credited in part for popularizing frequent and even daily bathing. Oh, wow. And also, like, we were starting to get plumbing, right? Indoor plumbing around this time. So that could have helped. Yes, modern plumbing and access to it was starting to expand at this point. I mean, there's been plumbing in homes for thousands of years. Right. But modern plumbing, as we know it today, was starting to be more and more common at this time. And on top of that, Louis Pasteur discovered in the late 1800s that there was a link between microbes and the transmission of disease. We know Louis Pasteur's name because of pasteurization, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And of course, there was this other thing, modern sophisticated advertising. Perhaps you've heard of it. It began here in the good old US of A, Mm -hmm. and it did a great job of pushing the message that we all needed soap, we all needed to wash more. 
We shouldn't be stinky. We need to buy more stuff, right? Oh my gosh. So advertising is part of the reason that we're like, gotta lather up. Of course. Oh, I love it. So Kristen, you have laid out a great case for why we should bathe, right? We're not as smelly. We're not spreading as many diseases or killing patients. It's just (laughs) nice to be clean. But you said at the top of this, this isn't all about like how we started bathing. This is about not bathing today. Yes. And I'm going to lay out four reasons why some experts say we should be bathing less or possibly not bathing at all. But first, a reminder to all our listeners, please check in with your own doctor before doing anything we talk about on this show. We say it at the top of every show. We are not doctors. You have a doctor probably Go to that doctor, not to us, if you decide suddenly to never bathe again. You know, if you want to do the Louis XIV thing, talk with your doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, be sure to check our show notes because we have links to all of the research that went into today's episode there. There are a lot of sources for this episode. So, all right, it's time to dive into our four reasons to maybe cut back on the frequency of showering and bathing. All right, Kristen, shower me with your knowledge. What is reason number one? (laughs) All right. Reason number one is bathing disrupts our skin's microbiome. This is the biggest and best reason to cut back on bathing, according to Dr. James Hamblin. He's the author of the book Clean, The New Science of Skin. This is a pretty recent book. Mm. As he explains, the microbes that live in and on our body are mostly harmless, Yes, there are a small number that can cause harmful effects from mild itchiness to outright infections, but many of them on the flip side help us out by preventing more dangerous species from taking up residence on our skin and in our bodies. And even water alone can strip away the biome and oils that protect our skin. So some people might say like, oh, I'm not even using that much soap. But the fact is even water Mm. can strip away that biome. And the drier and more porous someone's skin, the more susceptible it is to irritants and allergens, as well as flare-ups of pre-existing conditions like eczema. And on top of all that, our immune systems need a certain amount of stimulation by normal microorganisms, dirt, and other environmental exposures in order to create antibodies and what's called immune memory. If we're 100% washed and cleaned all the time, we don't have that immune memory. I see. So basically, you're saying my friends in college who use patchouli instead of going to the communal showers like I did were perhaps on to something. They were maybe <laughs> maybe keeping their skin microbiome a little healthier. And it's so interesting because we always think about gut microbiomes now, mm-hmm. but it's like, oh, right. Other organs like our skin have a microbiome that needs to be in balance, too. Absolutely. Okay. What is your second reason for washing less? All right. Reason number two is that showering uses a lot of water. As we all know, we are in a water crisis on this planet right now. There are wildfires in places we never imagined, Mm. like Hawaii and Canada. I mean, who would have thought wildfires in 
Hawaii. Half of Hawaii is a rainforest. Of course, the southwestern United States has been in a literal drought for 23 years. That is the actual scientific term for what's going on there. Municipalities around the world have been fighting for decades over water. And all the while, people around the world continue to use enormous amounts of water for unnecessary things. This includes watering front lawns. It includes keeping golf courses green. And yes, it includes frequent showers that are way too long. So when I say frequent, two-thirds of Americans shower once to twice or more per day, according to Harvard Health. And that's become more normalized with gym culture to shower multiple times a day. Oh, right. Yeah. I guess when I was more into gyms, I would maybe shower twice a day. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And in Australia, it's even worse than in the U.S. That number is 80%. And these showers are not those quick 90-second spritzes where you jump in, you know, cool off, wipe yourself down, and then jump out. The average American shower lasts over eight minutes and uses 17.2 gallons of water, according to the Environmental Protection Agency. And the average bath is even worse, using approximately 30 gallons of water. When you think about how scarce drinkable water is in a lot of parts of the world, including right here in the U.S., that's just an enormous amount of water literally going down the drain. Wow, it really is. I remember when I was in middle school, they were trying to teach us how much water we really used when we took a shower. And they basically were just like, anyone who has like a shower that's like over a bathtub, just plug your drain and take your shower and look at how much water is there. Mm. And it's like, it is more than you would expect. It's more than you think. And that sort of helps like get the picture of like, that's how much is going down the drain when I think I'm doing like way better job because I'm not taking a bath. And like, yes, the numbers say it is a better job, but it's still a lot. Yeah, it's so much water. And it's not necessary. Nobody really needs to take an eight or 10 or God forbid, a 20 minute shower. Right. People don't need to do that. What's the third reason for cutting back on washing? So reason number three is personal hygiene products. They are expensive and wasteful. And the more we wash, the more we use of these products. There's soap, obviously. There's shampoo. There's conditioner. And there's also things that kind of accompany the shower but aren't really a part of it, like moisturizer Mm. or special products targeted to different parts of the body, like our faces and underarms. There are also those bathing accessories like shower poofs and loofahs that we use more of the more we wash. The more we shower, the more of those products we go through. And this is all on top of the fact that 77% of us are already buying more personal hygiene products than we did before the pandemic, according to a survey by Global Data. So if we're doing all of that in the shower, plus we're like the typical person in the post-pandemic world, we already are using so many products. Combined, all of this obviously adds up financially, but even worse, almost all of these products we use come in plastic packaging that won't ever be recycled. This is partly Mm. due to the types of plastics used in product packaging and partly because our recycling infrastructure is broken. And even the things we put in our recycling bins more often than not end up in the landfill. Right. If you want to learn a bit more about that, you should definitely listen to our By the Book episode on Zero Waste Home. There's a lot of great information about 
how we process our waste and like how good recycling actually is for the world or not. Definitely check that out. Kristen, this brings us to our fourth reason, right? What's our fourth reason to maybe take less showers or baths? All right. So reason number four is there's a chance you're not actually stinky. You know, a lot of people (laughs) want to shower or bathe multiple times a day because they're worried about how they smell. We've all been that person who leans over to a loved one and says, do I smell? Am I stinky right now? Mm -hmm. But if you are one of the 1.7 billion people on the planet who are East Asian, you probably don't have the ability to make body odor at all. Shut up. I'm so jealous. (laughs) That's because underarm odor is caused by a gene called ABCC11, and very few East Asians and almost zero Koreans, that includes myself, have this gene. That's not to say that my clothes or my body never smell. You know, moisture, smoke, food, and other stuff can still make me smelly, but underarm odor is not one of the causes of what's going to make me or most East Asian smell. And just a bit of good news for the non-East Asians out there, according to a study published in Nature Genetics in 2006, up to 3% of people of African and European descent also lack ABCC11. A good way to find out if you're one of them is to look at your earwax. If you have wet or sticky or yellow earwax, you have ABCC11. If you have dry or light gray or flaky earwax like I do, you don't have ABCC11 and you also don't have the ability to make underarm odor. Well, fuck. I definitely have the ability to make underarm odor. (laughs) Based on both my earwax and how stinky I can get. (laughs) But that is so interesting. I did not know that until you just told me that. So question then for anyone who wants to cut down on their washing after listening to this episode, how often should we be doing it? We know every day, two times a day, excessive. But what is (laughs) the magic number? So there are no hard and fast rules. Dr. Angela Lamb, who is the director of the Westside Mount Sinai Dermatology Faculty Practice, told today It's really a matter of personal preference. Dr. Mary Stevenson, assistant professor of dermatology at NYU Langone Health, told today that, in general, every two to three days is enough. Dr. James Hamblin, who I mentioned earlier, is on the more extreme end. He has not showered in five years. That being said, Dr. Hamblin still washes his hands with soap frequently and rinses off anytime he says he's visibly dirty. And then there's Dr. Sandy scott Nicky, who's an assistant professor of dermatology at the University of Toronto. She tells The Atlantic to focus on washing just three parts, the underarms, the groin, and feet. And in her opinion, everything else is fine with just the occasional rinse. So there's not really just one rule about mm-hmm. how often we should be washing. But most doctors that I looked up have said it's not as often as we think it is. We don't have to wash as much as American soap companies have told us. We don't have to wash as much as the gym tells us to and so on. It's, It's okay to maybe wash a little less, to take shorter showers, or to maybe just wash certain parts more frequently. Just do a quick rinse. Yeah. Yeah. All of that being said, I also just want to own up to the fact that 
different people are rewarded and punished differently for their cleanliness in our world that we live in. Different people are marginalized and scrutinized in different ways. When you are a celebrity like Kristen Bell, who says on social media that you only bathe your kids once a week, people think, oh, that's so cool. You're a celebrity. When it is somebody who is not a famous celebrity and maybe isn't white and maybe isn't rich, that can be taken totally differently. So I do want to acknowledge that fact as well. And gender also falls into that too. So how often we wash can be perceived differently depending on different circumstances. I also want to make clear that depending on mobility and health issues, not everyone has the same options when it comes to choosing how often they can bathe. And that's important to point out. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. So Kristen, after doing all this research, do you think you are going to shower less often? Especially because you never smell, which is true now that I think of it. I've never been like, oh, someone's a little ripe today. Like, no, never smelled Kristen. (laughs) Well, you know what? Going into the subject, I was pretty skeptical. Back in college, I was always put off by those hippie kids you mentioned earlier, Jolenta, the ones who said, oh, I only need patchouli to stay fresh because some of them actually did not smell very fresh. Some of them smelled kind of bad. Some of them not fresh, fully Yes. But then I realized I actually have been showering less in recent years. And some of it is because of the pandemic. And I don't really need to look presentable in an office like I used to. You know, back in my office days, I would put on a cute little mod dress and I would, you know, do my makeup and be all tidy and stuff every single day. And During the pandemic, I don't really need to do that. Sometimes I just wear the same dress three days in a row and maybe I don't take a shower. I also think that one reason I stopped showering so often in recent years is because we got a bidet attachment on our toilet. So that takes care of washing my bits. And I wash my hands all the time just because, you know, why would I not? Gross. So I wash my hands. I use my bidet. I'm good to go just with those two things to a great extent. Also, I think this happens to a lot of people. The older I've gotten, the more dry my skin has gotten. And, you know, when I was young, when I was like a teenager and in my 20s, I was like oily and had a lot of acne and I wanted to wash all the time. And now I'm like, oh, no, my skin is dry. It's flaky. I don't want to go into a hot shower right now. So that also factors into things. And then finally, as you mentioned, Jolenta, I'm just not very smelly because I'm Korean. So, yeah, I am showering less already. And Doing research on all of this made me think maybe I could even stand a shower a little bit less. Nice. I like it. But what about you, Jolenta? I'm curious. Has this hot topic affected your thoughts in any way on how often to bathe yourself? This hot topic has made me feel better about how little I bathe myself. Ah. <laughs> we have a sort of a joke in my house where I'll I'll ask Brad or sort of muse aloud. When was the last time I showered? And if neither of us can answer that, it's time for a shower. And uh, usually, I mean, this all happened because I only wash my hair like once a week because it's curly and dry. Mm -hmm. And then for a while, I had a buzz cut because Mm -hmm. my hair was all falling out from my lupus and my lupus treatment. So I just started showering a lot less or rinsing like a quick rinse or even just like a washcloth if I felt like a little grody in my underarms or like between my legs. But I didn't feel the need to like do the whole process as much with all the products and whatnot. And that sort of has stuck ever since. 
where I just sort of try and do a body shower when I'm doing my my weekly hair wash. And then I kind of forget about it in between. (laughs) There have been occasions where Brad has been like, you smell really bad. Can you shower? And then I do. (laughs) But like those are, you know, the extra hot days. Mm -hmm. So I feel vindicated and I can just be like, I'm taking care of my microbiome. If Brad <laughs> starts like being like, when have you showered? You're a little I'm doing stinky. what a lot of doctors say I should, which is bathe less. Okay, Brad? Yeah. But <laughs> now I just feel better about my, if you can't remember when you last took one, take one. And I don't feel as much shame about not being able to remember sometimes. So thank you for alleviating that, Kristen. <laughs> Well, I thank all of the doctors who came up in my research on this topic. But you know who I want to hear from about how often they bathe? Our listeners. Of course you do. We want to hear from you. How much do you bathe? How much are you thinking about your skin microbiome? Have you stopped showering altogether? Share your story with us. You can email us at kristenangelenta at gmail.com. Or you can weigh in on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen Angelenta. Coming up, a letter writer wants help with a conundrum involving their children's names. Stay with us. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Bettys.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. Hey, everyone, we're back with our first letter of the day. Jolenta, what do they have to say? Our letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, I have two kiddos who myself and my partner named with consideration of sound and meaning of the word that we gave each of them as a name. I found these names in other cultures, Sanskrit and Tamil. When we identified these words, that was their names. There wasn't a short list. It was only these names. Unfortunately, it has become increasingly evident and shameful that I misappropriated these words to be my children's names. Now they are at an age that they like their names, and I don't think changing their names at this time is an option, and they don't want to. Even more embarrassing is that we misappropriated not only the first name, but especially for one of the kiddos, the middle name as well. If they decide in future they want to change their names, we've already let them know that we are okay with that. I guess my question is, is educating my children on their names, where they come from, why we pick them, and how others might be impacted or feel about their names, and giving them the option to change their names enough? Do I need to do more? Is there another rectifying action in addition that I could take if I want to be socially and racially justice-minded? Oh, well, letter writer, first and foremost... I'm going to say I don't think you're alone. I think a lot of people are starting to reckon with this now. Maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago, especially during the 60s and 70s, it was 
not unusual to choose a name from another culture, especially a marginalized culture, and think this is beautiful or this is spiritual to those people over there and not necessarily think of the things that we think of now. So now we're in a different time. And the fact that you're giving this serious thought, I think, is important and useful. And I think that you are asking all of the right questions. So thank you for your letter and thank you for wanting to do better here. And my first bit of advice is actually maybe to turn to somebody who isn't me or isn't Jolenta, but maybe somebody who comes from the cultures where these names derive from, people who are Tamil or Sanskrit. And that could be through a community organization. It could be through some other group that you could talk to. But I feel like Jolenta, you and I are not necessarily the right people here. And we're absolutely not the right people to grant forgiveness or to absolve or to say this is all right here. Not us. (laughs) Not us. We're not the right people. And I would also say that other people who don't come from those cultures, they're also not the right people to ask. You know, maybe you're tempted to ask a group of your friends or maybe you're tempted to ask Mm. other trusted people. But unless they're also from these cultures, I would say don't turn to them necessarily for advice and don't necessarily turn to them to be absolved either. So I would say go to the right folks for that advice. And who knows what they'll say. It it could be a wide range of advice that you receive because it's not like two people who speak Tamil are going to 100% agree on things, just like two people who speak English are not 100% going to agree on things, right? You may have to talk with a variety of people to get their ideas and their feedback and maybe get their suggestions. Yeah, totally. I think that is super important to do. And I have just some name advice. First of all, don't be afraid of nicknames. Like, they're never too late to implement Mm -hmm. and play with if you want to maybe experiment with calling your kids different things. Let them experiment and imagine, you know, what name would you want to be called that reflects our heritage or our culture or where we are right now? And let them sort of daydream about what would they want to be called. And you can, you know, nickname that name or not. But just sort of reminding them that names aren't set in stone. I grew up being called two different names that I answer to, like, totally equally, Jolenta and Jolie. So I've kind of learned that, you know, it can be second nature to be called a few different things. And like, it's kind of fun to be able to switch it up. There were some grades where I was Jolenta. And then, you know, for a couple of years, I'd be Jolie. Then like I'd start high school and be Jolenta again. And so like, let them experiment with things they would want to be called to see how it feels when they try it on. And nothing is set in stone. You don't have to use the nicknames. Just mess around with it. Also, I feel like you should prepare your kids for like the unique name conundrum. As someone with a unique name, Jolenta, I can assure you that they're going to need to explain where it comes from or what it means like a lot. I'm lucky because my name has ties to both of my parents' heritage. So mine's pretty easy. It's my mom's middle name. It came from a book of saints and they're Catholic and she's a saint of Poland. And that's where my dad's family comes from. So like, what do you know? It's a melding of my two cultures. But they're going to need to have a story, too, of like what it means, why they have it, maybe how they feel about it now. So like 
honestly, prep them to have like a little spiel because it helps to have that in your pocket ready to whip out whenever you get the questions that all unique names get, you know, that where does that come from? Is that a family name? What does that mean? So have them be ready to just answer that. Yeah, I think all of that practical advice you just gave, Jolenta, is so good. And, you know, like you, Jolenta, I went by many different names growing up. A lot of people in Minnesota still call me Christy, not Kristen. I cannot imagine you as a Christy. Sorry, I need a second. That's Most so people cute. in Minnesota can't picture me as a Kristen. I can see it now, like if I really think hard, but I've just known you as Kristen for so long. That's wild. Well, Christy sounds more jolly to a lot of people. So I was like, it matches your smile. Yeah. And whereas Kristen to some people sounds a little stern, a little buttoned up. So not everybody sees me as a Kristen back home in Minnesota. And then there are definitely members of my family that just call me Kiss, which is Chris without the R, mm. or short for kissy face, which my mom used to call me because I had such a kissable fat face I mean, when I was a kid. <laughs> she still has a very kissy face. It's cute. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of nicknames that a person can adopt that are versions of their own names. But I also had nicknames that didn't sound anything like my name, actually. When I was a little kid, one of my nicknames was Killer. <laughs> I, I think it was just meant as a joke because I'm like the opposite of that. And I was going to say, was it because you were so like cuddly? Yeah, I think so. But I just had all sorts of random nicknames and a lot of them were opposite nicknames. They weren't really my personality. Right, It right. was just funny and ironic to my parents, you know? That's so cute. <laughs> so, yeah, nicknames, I love that. And I agree with you, Jolenta, having a backstory, having something that can be top of mind that the kids can say when questions will inevitably come up. And as they self-actualize more, right, as they right. own who they are more with time, then it's a good thing to have that story ready. Yeah. But listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have advice for our letter writer here? Share it with us. You can always do that at facebook.com slash Kristen Jolenta. That's our private Facebook community. While we're on that break, why don't you take a hot second to rate us and review us wherever you're listening to the podcast. It helps us know what you think about the show and the ratings help other people decide if they want to listen or not. Because if they see a bunch of five stars, they'll be like, oh, I'll give it a try. And everyone should give it a try. So Let's rate and review. Coming up, a letter writer is ready for a fresh start. Stay with us. All right, we are back with our second letter of the day. Kristen, would you read it, please? Yes. Our letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, I just got an offer for what might be my dream job. It's a 56% pay increase, but an almost two-hour commute two days per week. I plan to move closer to the office this year. Fresh starts can be a great catalyst for self-improvement and change, so I'd like to make the most of this moment. Do you have any advice on new starts or stages in life? First of all, congrats on yes. the new job. I know commuting is a huge pain in the ass, but like that pay increase, hello, 
And the dream job part. Hello to right. that, too. And the dream part. <laughs> Hello. Sorry I went for the pay increase first. It <laughs> is a very, like, substantial one. So I was sidetracked. <laughs> Dreams are more important than money. Congrats. Congrats. They're both important. Let's be real. Right. They're both important. That is awesome. Two-hour commute definitely sucks, but at least it's only two days a week, and it seems like it's worth it. Plus, you're probably going to move closer. I kind of like something external to help celebrate a change. It can be a fun way to like make sure I'm framing this change as like a fresh start. I love a new haircut. Or like some fresh nails or maybe like a new shade of lipstick to sort of be like, hey, new me, let's go to this new job. Like, hey, fresh bangs when you haven't had bangs since you were 10. Like, let's go to this, (laughs) you know, new phase of your life. Maybe don't do bangs. Make sure you're really ready if you do, because that that can be a big blow. And don't be like me and don't cut them yourself. Yeah, don't do that. No, no, no. (laughs) Have someone else do them because they always come out shorter than you mean when you do it yourself. My mother's a hairdresser. It's like her number one advice is just if you do have to cut your bangs, leave it longer than you think because they always shrink up when you style it. Yes. I digress, but I love something external, like a new pair of shoes. I know it sounds a little shallow, but sometimes it helps me be like, these are my new job shoes or these are my first day of school pants, you know, something like that. I love all of that. And along those lines, Jolenta, I would say maybe have a new work backpack or shoulder bag, something that makes you feel powerful and in charge, something you can schlep your things in. Maybe you're going to put your laptop in that. I just think it's great to have some sort of power satchel or something like that that makes you feel like I'm going off to work and this is my new thing. So that's just adding on to all the great advice you just gave, Joenta, which I totally agree with as well. I also would suggest maybe taking advantage of that schedule change to do something really exciting. So I'm not sure what your commute is if you're taking mass transit. I have a friend who was commuting quite a bit for his job for a while, and he said, I am going to take this as an opportunity to watch all of the Criterion Channel movies that I've never seen before. And so he would just each day put a movie on his laptop and watch that movie And it would make him feel like he was being entertained, he was learning something, he was catching up on culture, he was doing something for himself. And as part of his fresh start with that job where he commuted a lot, he could also kind of self-identify himself suddenly as like, I'm kind of a classic movie guy. This is a part of who I am now, too. In addition to being this guy who has a new job, I'm also the guy who likes classic movies. And it was a fun thing for him to do. And I'm not saying it has to be movies, especially If you have to drive during your commute, you don't want to watch movies when you drive. No, no, no. (laughs) Don't do that. Maybe listen to uh, some audiobooks. Yes. I know Kristen loves an audiobook. I was going to say, like, stick with what you like and what makes you you with this change as well. Yes, you have a, like, fresh start haircut or whatever, but don't forget what you love because it's what helps you stay sane on a long commute. Mm-hmm. So like, don't forget to follow your interests, whether it's like joining a softball team at work or just listening to all the latest like celebrity memoirs when you drive on your long commute. Yeah, all of that, all of that. Stay true to you. Follow your interests. 
be a joiner. I think that's especially important since you're going to be hopefully moving two hours away later this year. So being a joiner and kind of laying the groundwork now for that move. So part of that might also be what are the best coffee shops in your new town that you're going to? And maybe once or twice a week visiting some of those coffee shops or talking to a person every day about what they would recommend as either their favorite restaurant or favorite thing to do in that town. And then maybe creating a list and visiting some of those in advance before you move there. That'll help you think about maybe what neighborhood is going to be the best fit for you and so on. So ask those questions, try new things. As Jolenta said, follow your interests. Uh, Maybe experiment with that two-hour commute each day. Try new things during that commute. And just enjoy this moment because having a dream job is something so many people wish they could have at some point in their lives and will never get that chance. So many people think their job is drudgery and it is, but having that dream job in and of itself is such a gift. So dive right in, enjoy that pay increase and enjoy everything that's ahead of you. We're so thrilled for you. You're crushing it. And that's it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge thank you to our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantel Holder, and our composer and engineer, Casey Holford. Reminder, you can always write to us at kristenangelenta at gmail.com with comments or to ask for advice. Until next time, I'm Jolenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. See you next week. Until then, stay fine. Stitcher.